everybody. Welcome back to For the Girls. What a race. Silverstone truly delivers year after year, and this was just incredible. We have so much to dive into. Of course, we are beyond thrilled for McLaren, and we just cannot wait to get into all the storylines. There is a lot. Okay, an emergency announcement, everyone, which we have to dive into immediately before jumping into the British GP recap. Silly season apparently started early because it dropped today that Daniel Ricardo will be replacing Nick DeVries at AlphaTauri for the rest of the season, starting with immediate effect for the Hungarian Grand Prix next race. So we're going to dive into that. So with that, I'm Tiggy. I'm Chessa. And I'm Sarah. We, of course, immediately thought of you all and how we had to talk about this. As soon as we saw this, this was such a wild and unpredictable announcement today. Everyone's just going about their days a month, full month before silly season is supposed to start (laughs) and see this. So how about everyone just say one word to describe the news? I have so many words and you guys know I'm not good at using one word. Try it. Okay. No, I can't. I'm going to say like surprising yet predictable. Yeah. I was going to go with predictable. Not that like I expected it to happen this early, but Red Bull is Red Bull, which we'll, we will talk about. <laughs> so I'm going to go with predictable. I'm kind of I'm kind of the opposite. I'm going to go with shocking. I feel like I, for as much as the writing was on the wall and as much as I thought this might happen in the off season or even in August, kind of an announcement being made for next year, I did not think this was going to be a mid-season occurrence or that it would be Danny if it was. So this is poetic because – as people will listen to the rest of this episode, which we recorded yesterday, we do talk about Nick DeVries slightly. Um, and so it'll it'll sound out of context, but I think it is very shocking. And we were even saying yesterday, like, we had so many high hopes for him. Things aren't going well for him. What do we think is going to happen? And then this happened today. So our thoughts and prayers, <laughs> I guess, were answered by the F1. Yeah, guys. I think I said in this in this episode that I've never been more wrong about anything than I was about (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so let's rewind a bit for just a little bit of context. It's not as crazy as the Oscar Piastri drama last year, I feel like, because he like kind of came out of nowhere. DeVries, he has been racing. He's, He's had 10 races. He's a rookie this year. He kind of his name kind of came onto the map last season when he subbed in for a race last year and just kind of blew it out of the water. He, I think he finished in the points. He was super impressive. Everybody was talking about DeVries after that. And then there we go. Red Bull AlphaTauri sign him for this season, 10 races in. He's had no points this season. I think his best finish was P12 so far. And Danny, meanwhile, is the third driver for Red Bull. He, as people know, quote unquote, retired, <laughs> guess not retired, but he took a hiatus after his McLaren year. Um, and now Danny is coming to fill in for Nick DeRees for the rest of the season. Although it's interesting the way they phrased it, that it's, quote, on loan. <laughs> yeah, we got a lot of questions about that. Yeah, and then what's interesting about kind of some of the Nick backstory too and why I had had such high hopes was he had kind of an unusual, quote, unquote, rookie posturing where he's a bit later on in his 20s. He has a ton of racing experience in other series. He's a Formula E champion. So I think – me included, a lot of people expected him to kind of come in and not have the posture of a rookie, be kind of more of a team leader, be reliably outperforming the car, being able to get into the points. And he's just 
really, really been struggling. Yugi's been outperforming him. He cannot put in good race day performances. Helmet Marco has been very publicly displeased with him. So I I think I was ex- definitely expecting him not to get renewed for next year, but I can't remember the last time a rookie was replaced in the middle of the season. Like normally I feel like there's kind of a bit more grace. We can think back to Mick or some people who have maybe struggled with warm up a bit in their rookie season, but got a bit more of a chance or even plenty of drivers who, who have shown a lot of potential, even if maybe it hasn't yet translated into points. It's just going to take people a while to acclimate to the team, acclimate yeah. to being in Formula One. And so this feels feels quick. I do think it's probably informed by the fact that they viewed him not as like a 21, 22-year-old brand new F1 driver. Yeah, but we're expecting him to kind of come in as a more experienced hand. I mean, I get what you're saying where, okay, other rookies usually get a little bit more grace, but I think he, Nick, is in a very specific position. One, because you mentioned like his age that he's entering, but two, he's a rookie for Alpha Tari which has like a big brother team in Red Bull where I think it adds an extra layer of pressure, an extra layer of options that Logan Sargent at Williams isn't having right now, right? Like he doesn't have a big brother team looking down on him with an epic third driver that could be replaced. So I think it is a pretty intense confluence of all of these different factors coming together. Yeah, I think the whole Danny being part of the Red Bull family now makes this so much more at least like predictable or likely in my mind. Like Danny is a race winner. He did not do well in the McLaren, we all know, but he is a huge celebrity figure. AlphaTauri is trying to go for a rebrand and that's going to bring in a ton of sponsorship and I think attention over at least the next half a season or maybe more, we'll see. So I think one of the things that we were talking about and I'm actually checking right now is the fact that neither of them have said anything on Instagram or social media at that. Yeah, this was going to be my next question was what you what you all think about the mechanics here because I think a quick mechanics recap is it seemed like there were some media rumors, then some super reputable F1 journalists started – uh, tweeting it. It got published by Autosport. AlphaTauri makes an official announcement, releases a press release, but their announcement was just Danny Ricardo's joining the team, I guess, with the assum- with figuring people would assume that he's replacing Nick. And then the press release had kind of crashed. When you finally get to the press release, it does just have kind of a one-off line of like, we thank Nick for his service type thing. And Nick hadn't posted anything, which makes me think he was blindsided. Yeah, it feels very strange because also this whole announcement is very Daniel focused. Like there's nothing really about Nick in any of this besides that one line in the press release, which feels a bit strange. And then obviously people were talking also today about the kind of tire testing and how Daniel performed super well there. And that maybe was like a final audition. And if that was the case, then this happened like very quickly. Well, it almost feels like Danny kind of knew it was coming before before Nick or because he's on like the positive end of the news. That's how they want to spin it. Like it's being spun as this like massive comeback story, like F1 Instagram. Literally Danny posted an Instagram story five minutes ago and then a minute ago like wearing his new helmet, saying he's happy to be back. And it's just like radio silence from Nick. So I think it might have been I hope not, but it feels like it was a lot of things were happening under the hood, no pun intended, 
Danny knew what was going on. Red Bull, Helmet, Marco, all of them kind of had this plan in motion. And then poor Nick just got left in the dark until the last minute, which I feel like is just how things go when it comes to silly season. Yeah, I was – it was really hard to say on that. I one question I do want to talk about is like, is this a good move for Danny? I feel like Danny really doesn't have a lot to lose at this point. Like, if he really wants an F one seat, this is kind of his best shot. But the flip side of that is AlphaTauri right now is arguably the slowest car on the grid. It's going to be very difficult for him to kind of outperform in that car. He's also going to be driving next to Yuki, who's a good driver, and he's going to have to kind of show up and perform and be probably as good or better than Yuki given his history, which I think is kind of a tall order. So I just wonder if it's a good move for him. I think it's going to go one of two ways. One, he doesn't get a grip on the car and the car is just of course not as good as the Red Bull that he just tested in sort of thing and it's gonna be he's gonna try really hard and the car is gonna fail him and it'll just be kind of like meh okay that was kind of expected or he will start to cut time off the margins really perform like max out the car and of course he's not gonna be like podiuming in in AlphaTauri but if he starts to move his way up the grid and he's not ending bottom of the grid every single race and he's kind of fighting for the midfield and having some good moments I think it could be an indication that maybe next year like and people have been rumoring this that this is kind of like his warm-up to take Checo's seat next year which I don't think is true and I think the team Red Bull has said that that's not the case but what do you guys think about that so maybe this is a hot take but I feel like right now I have two strong opinions my first strong opinion is that this was in some fashion decided today whether that was the final exclamation point or what i think in some way this was decided after the tire test and two i think this is again maybe this will just be exceptionally wrong but i think this is the best possible move for him right now he's his best racing was at red bull so even though he's back at the junior team he's super comfortable in the environment it's kind of his racing family he's going to know a bunch of the people and if it's true what we're seeing today from both christian horner posted something like daniel was exceptionally quick lawrence barreto tweeted that he had heard from sources that daniel's times at silverstone and the tire test were unbelievable like would have put him at the top of the grid for had he been in qualifying So I think all that put together, maybe this is just being optimistic, but I think it's the best chance for him to get back into a car that hopefully works at least, even if it's slow, at least is going to work in kind of the style that he was successful in as opposed to the McLaren. I I don't know. I mean, I, I hope that that's true. But I also like I don't know if I think maybe I'm also naively optimistic, but I don't know if this was like decided today. I feel like. Red Bull and Helmet are ruthless. The F1 PR situation is a machine. If I'm being a little bit more cynical, I feel like this tire test was kind of used as like a cherry on top reason at the like end of it just to announce it today, but that it's been in the works for a while. We know he had the seat fitting in May, which could be for a variety of different reasons, but I feel like that definitely raised some eyebrows when that happened and 
I don't know. I like Nick hasn't performed all season and yes, it's only been 10 races, but I just have to believe that there's been more behind the scenes than like just deciding today and issuing (laughs) an announcement coordinated across multiple arms of an organization. Yeah, I fall somewhere in the middle there. It has only been 10 races and I think it would be really savage of them to be like five races ago a quarter of the way through the season be like all right that's it Nick let's get the wheels in motion so I don't think it was like that but I think that there's probably a little bit more to it than just it happening today so I think I'll fall in the middle of you two in that camp (laughs) okay one thing I want to talk about is Liam Lawson I know a lot of questions were raised about him and whether it would be Daniel or Liam. So for context, Liam Lawson, he's a New Zealand driver. He's young. He's 21 and he's currently in super formula and doing super well there. He's probably the most talented of the Red Bull junior program right now and was probably most likely to be in contention for the seat if it weren't for Danny. So I'm curious what you guys think, why they may have gone with Danny versus Liam and what kind of went down there, if anything, if it was even a question. I think if you're doing Liam, like a fully new driver to the grid, it would not be enough to just like put him quote unquote, like on loan for half a season. I think that would like that. It's just easier to put Danny in mid season on loan and it gives them like a little bit of a scapegoat to decide freshly what they want to do next year. So that could be like Liam next year, you know? Yeah, I also think of the teams really struggling right now, it kind of goes back to when Haas was deciding between taking more of a risk on Mick or maybe another younger driver or bringing in a really experienced, reliable, older hand in Hulkenberg. I think it probably comes down to that. If the team's really struggling, their last bet on a rookie didn't work out, they're probably are just thinking, okay, we can get in an eight-time Grand Prix winner who we know is super successful in this organization. And yeah, exactly what Chelsea was saying, at least for the next couple of months to kind of hold them over while they figure out what they want to do. Yeah. So I think that's a good next question. Like, what do we see Danny Rick's future as? Do we think it's just going to be these next six months? Is it going to be more than that? Obviously, it probably depends on how his performance is. And if he blows it out of the water, then he'll be extended. But what do you guys think is going to happen to Danny Rick? post the 2023 season I think he wants to stay on the grid does he want to be a permanent AlphaTauri driver probably not but does half a season in an AlphaTauri warrant a reshuffling of the grid and getting him onto a better team no so I actually don't know what he envisions his end goal is and I don't think he knows what his end goal is is either yeah I guess the question is like would he replace Checo is there any chance if he outperforms in that car that Checo may have his seat at risk. I would say normally no, but they're too ruthless, so maybe. I think yes. Yeah, (laughs) I think a flat yes. Again, it's so contingent on performance, but if Danny starts getting in and way outperforming the AlphaTauri, getting points, working really well in the organization, Checo continues to not get into Q3. Like imagine if Danny gets into Q3 in an AlphaTauri and Checo doesn't get in in a Red Bull. Yeah, be brutal. A lot of people were kind of saying, like, we talk so much about Red Bull really struggling with this number two driver to max. And granted, there were some fireworks, but the the most successful pairing with Max to date has been Danny. And yes, that was a long time ago. Arguably, Danny's kind of past his prime. But I think I think Checo is one of the people who would be most stressed out by this announcement today. Yeah, that's super interesting. I mean, we talk about it a little bit in the recap of like what is going on with Checo and why is that? And part of my thought is 
not to psychoanalyze him, but the pressure is huge on him right now. It is heavy and there is so much that he has to deal with. And once you like stop getting into Q2 and Q3, it's probably really hard mentally, especially in like the high stakes quality situation to perform. So I wonder if this just kind of adds to that pressure and stresses him out even more. I guess we'll see. How much do you think kind of Daniel's brand in F1 played into this? Like I was seeing so much about how it's the inaugural Vegas race and now he's going to be driving it and he (laughs) is kind of such a cultural force. How much do you think that might have kind of tipped the scales on the decision? I think a lot. I don't think that much. I mean, I think like maybe subconsciously, but in F1, like if you're a funny, happy-go-lucky guy, but you're lap times aren't showing it like they're not going to put you on the team so I think it's a happy surprise that it's both but I don't think it's not fully a PR thing like it's got to be and he does have the times yeah I mean I don't think it's a fully PR thing but I do think that that plays a big role in this situation his age his stature the fact that AlphaTauri is trying to rebrand they need like sponsors and all of that and Danny just like brings all of that to the table and more. I do feel like with the rise in popularity in F1 and just the amount of money and marketing and all of that that is a part of this sport now to a degree that it never really has before, I do think that it plays a role in this. So yes, he has to have the times and yes, he has to have the like pedigree (laughs) and credibility, which he has in the past, but I do think that definitely tips the scale. Yeah, and if AlphaTauri, the clothing company, is trying to get a foothold in the U.S. and they have <laughs> Danny showing up in full AlphaTauri on a horse at the USGP. <laughs> there you have it. Incredible. Sales through the roof. Say no more. It's so funny. <laughs> oh, man. Do you? How do you all think uh, Danny's going to get along with Yuki, not only on kind of an interpersonal level, but on a driver pairing level? I think they're going to be a good pair interpersonally. And I think driving-wise, I think it's a toss-up between how they perform. I think Danny has more history. And yes, he's been in the Red Bull family longer, but Yuki's also way more used to the Alpha Tauri. And as we know, the Alpha Tauri is definitely not the same car as the Red Bull. So I don't know. I think it's kind of a toss-up. And I'm curious to see how Danny kind of sticks in that seat. He's He's kind of getting thrown into the fire very quickly. I think it'll be great. I can't wait to see. And with that, I think we'll jump into our Silverstone recap, which is an exciting one. Maybe not as exciting as this previous conversation about the craziness of silly season, but hope you all enjoy. We all need a little extra health booth sometimes, and Fleur Marche makes it easy for us to supercharge our wellness. Their botanical wellness patches have been such a fun addition to our routine. We just stick them on wherever we want. They have them for sleep, relaxation, focus, and other things. And the patch delivers ingredients to your body in a subtle but effective way, and the results last up to 12 hours. Fleur Marche also has botanical gummies and their new organic nutritional powder, Green Machine. They only use the best ingredients and are tested for potency, contaminants, and heavy metals before and after production. And one of our favorite things, we also love that the company is founded and inspired by women with the mission of helping us feel 100% every single day so that we can have full energy and crush it every day. Find your new wellness essentials at fleurmarche.com and get a special discount just for our listeners. Get 20% off your first order site-wide with promo code for the girls at checkout 
orders over $50 also get free shipping. Go to Fleur Marche, F-L-E-U-R-M-A-R-C-H-E.com. Use code for the girls for 20% off your first order. Okay, friends, it's festival and concert season, and you know it's all about the boots this year. That's why you need to make Tacova's your number one place for festival style this spring. And don't forget to shop their seasonal and limited edition offerings, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. We love Tacova's. They have a first wear comfort, which basically means there's no break in period. It's the best thing ever. So stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, and shop new styles. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personal. Personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's really no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it to a store, though, just visit tecovas.com, T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and they ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. First, we are going to get into our main takeaways. What a weekend. This Track just really delivers incredible wheel-to-wheel racing and unexpected results, plus a record crowd. It's really hard to think of where else on the calendar you can routinely see basically three cars side-by-side in a braking zone at multiple points throughout the race. And of course, have to give it to McLaren. It's only their first race with both cars with upgrades, and boy, did it deliver with a P2, and Oscar would have gotten P3 without the safety car. I was super impressed with Lando. He knew he had to throw down at the start versus Max to prove he has what it takes, and he just really delivered. He rounded it out by holding off a seven-time world champ on hards at a safety car restart. Just amazing stuff and just shows what I love about F1, how you can really have an unexpected comeback story at any time. And another just masterclass from Max, if that's even the word. There's just no one – in his stratosphere right now, really excited to get into some of the other stories as well. Yeah, I think for me, just the energy from Silverstone, like me and Sarah were traveling while having to watch this race. We were watching on our phones and the amount of energy that I was getting just from like my tiny phone screen from Silverstone was amazing. The crowd was the record, 480,000. We had amazing wheel wheel racing. We had that last minute safety car. The race really had it all. And I also really liked, like at one point I took a screenshot of the top like eight or so drivers on the grid and their rankings. And it was so cool to just see a lot of mix up from like McLaren, Mercedes, basically everyone besides Red Bull, like really being in the midfield and fighting it out was super exciting for me. Of course, Max did so well. He's Sarah, to your point, like in a whole other world. But um, it was really fun to see some legitimate competition for him, at least at the beginning. And then, of course, we had the first two British or the first time since 1999 that we had two British drivers on podium. So it was amazing. Yeah, retweet all of the above for sure. The Checo topic especially is super interesting to me. Five races in a row of major disappointment, and he went from 14 points behind Max to 99, and Max is now winning constructors on his own, which he definitely has made comments about (laughs) recently. So lots to discuss there, but Checo said he, quote, knows where the problem is, so we shall see. In happier news, we are so psyched for McLaren and the fact that these upgrades are really paying off is super exciting. We have known that they have just a really dynamite pair of drivers and now that the car is hopefully turning a corner, I'm just so excited where this could be headed with a good part of the season still left to go. So it's super exciting. They've surpassed Alpine in the the constructors uh, standing. So 
there's a lot of excitement. And Williams too, stoked for Williams's performance, didn't necessarily translate fully in the race, but during practice and quali, Albon yeah. continues to delight us. So that's very exciting. For MVPs, I feel like Sarah and Chessa, you guys will definitely say McLaren. So I'm going to give it to Silverstone in general. I feel like this race is just electric. It truly does not disappoint. Almost half a million people and all the activations and events on the ground just look so fun. And shout out to some of the pods like P1, Matt and Tommy for getting to do some really cool things. Just really cool to watch from the sidelines. Also just amazing racing at Silverstone. And I I just am so excited, hopefully, to go to Silverstone next year or sometime after that. But it just seems like such a, an amazing environment. A lot of the teams are based there. We have multiple drivers from the UK. So it just seems like incredible, incredible vibes. Okay, for me, my MVP has got to be these, these McLaren upgrades. I think we're all going to be um... – talking about McLaren but did they really bring those upgrades they showed that the car really can get the times that it needs in quality but also be a real race car when it comes to wheel-to-wheel racing and of course a lot of defending and this is something that we talk about a lot like you can have a quality car you can have a race car you can't always have both so it was just cool for them to bring that a hundred percent I have to go with both McLaren drivers and I'll focus more on Oscar because Lando already got driver of the day, which was much deserved. He won it by a big margin. I think this was really just one of the best rookie performances in recent memory. Oscar is the youngest driver on the grid, but he showed up like he does this on a regular basis, like keeping a Mercedes behind him off the line, being side by side with Max going into cops. He was following Lando super closely. I think without the team orders towards the start, he potentially could have passed Lando. Lando basically joked about like said as much in the cool down room. And we had said when we had interviewed Oscar, just kind of how mature he seemed. And that really came through with how professional he was also with getting super unlucky about that safety car. So definitely both McLaren drivers for this weekend and so much more to come from them also. Yeah. How about LVPs? Okay. I, I feel like I can have a bunch. I'm sure you guys are going to touch on like Alpine or AlphaTauri like so I'm going to do a light one. And the fact it was like this funny little radio moment that I thought was kind of surprising. A light LVP was when they were like, signs, do you know, can you do plan B? Like, what do you think about plan B? And he was just like, guys, I forgot what plan B is. And then I think his engineer <laughs> also forgot because he was like, hold on, let me get back to you. And so I think everyone just forgot what plan B was. I was like, interesting. <laughs> that was really funny. I love Carlos is one of my favorite kind of radio personalities, just with how engaged he is on strategy. It was that was pretty funny. You've got to be if you're a Ferrari driver. <laughs> <laughs> For me, I gotta go with Stroll. Just one Alpine had already DNF'd, and then just wrecking Gasly to put the second Alpine out of commission was was very not cool. <laughs> yeah, Sarah. I think following up on that a little bit. But just for me, I'm sad to say Alpine, they have been doing so well the last five or so races and the points and a double DNF is just a big dagger that has put, again, McLaren ahead of them and constructors. And although the Gasly thing was definitely not his or Alpine's fault, it's just, it's really tough, unfortunately. Okay, let's go into our hot takes. Tiggy, how about you? So for how our hot takes held up, just woof for me at me saying Ferrari double podium, but <laughs> yay. I also said all three Brits in the top seven, which did pan out. We had Lando and Lewis both on podium and George was also in the top seven. So very exciting on that one. 
Okay, so for me, I had Alonso and Lewis on podium. At least I got Lewis. I don't think Alonso did nearly as well as we had hoped, but we got Lewis on podium, so I'm happy about that. Okay, drum roll, please. This might be my best one ever. My The only thing I said was both McLarens up there with the upgrades. So. There you go. Sarah, you're going to love this one. My godmother texted me on Sunday watching the race and being like, this is an incredible race for McLaren. So at least one of your guys' hot takes are going to come through. So there we go. Yeah. on uh, Arguably not hot enough because I just said up there and not podium, which is unreal. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah. We'll, we'll give it to me anyway. For practice highlights, so Williams really was the star of the show here. Albon was showing some amazing straight line speed in FP1 and 2. His practice results overall were P3 for FP1 and 2 and then P2 for FP3 despite an electrical issue. So awesome performance from him. Logan Sargent also was uh, P5 in FP2 and P7 in FP3, so great for him as well. On the flip side, Nick DeVries, uh, FP1, he had a big spin into the gravel trap. Just I feel like poor guy cannot catch a break, and I really would love to see him kind of elevate his performance. Ferrari also had electrical issues that caused Charles to miss, miss FP2, but really the talk of the town was Williams for practice, so very exciting there. Okay, let's do quality. This quality was so unreal. It was so exciting. So Q1 was really tricky damn conditions. People were kind of out on a mix of both inners and softs. We had Hamilton and Logan Sargent have big offs. There was a red flag for K-Mag's breakdown, the first of what was more to come. It was just generally pretty chaotic. Max had his incident running into the pit wall, needing a new front wing. We just posted about this on our um Instagram. It's so funny, but it was a funny, funny little remark, which was heralding back to his little incident that he had with Leclerc way back when, when they were kids in karting. It was really funny. And then for Q1, we had Lando having the best time. So that was really exciting for the cuts and a big shocker. Actually, not so much of a shocker anymore. We had Checo out. (laughs) Yuki. I know it's sad. Checo out, Yuki out, Joe out, DeVries and K-Mag. And then Bodas' car broke down, so we couldn't continue either. For Q2, the weather conditions dried up, so everyone was on softs. It was kind of Austria vibes with a lot of track limits problems. Here, it became super clear the McLaren's performance wasn't a fluke, that they were really in it. They were going to be fighting in Q3. The cuts were Hogenberg, Stroll, Ocon, Sargent, and Botas. And because Botas' car had broken down, he couldn't even participate. Bummer. I wish I bet you Cheka would have left to have his Q2 spot. And for Q3, this was just too exciting. I really cannot remember a quali that has been so exciting in a while. I think, uh, yeah, just amazing excitement all around. So on everyone's second set of flying laps, Lando got provisional pole. And the noise from the crowd was just insane and really underscored the level of home race support that the British drivers had this weekend, which is very exciting. But as he does, Max naturally came back and grabbed pole by two tenths. But still for Lando, P2 was just so amazing. And then Oscar slid into third, which was so crazy. The scene when the top three pulled up to get out of their cars was just incredible. Max was shocked and everyone was just so excited and hugging. And it was just such great vibes. So that was awesome. 
Okay, let's go to the start of the race, main highlights. I think the start of this race was so fun. I was in the airport. I jumped up and down and squealed, and people were like, what's going on? But it was a really, really fun start. Max was struggling kind of right off the bat with wheel spin, drift off the line. Meanwhile, Lando had absolutely launched off past Max directly into turn one. It was just a really great reaction time fully ahead going into turn one. Like we said, the crowd was just absolutely going nuts. And at this point, like honestly, right at the beginning, Oscar snuck in, was on the inside of Max going into turn one. Max managed to hang on, but it really did feel like for a second, he could have passed them all. Like he just didn't really have anywhere to go. Yeah, it was thrilling. There were a couple of seconds in the first lap where it felt like both McLarens were going to pass Max. And like, honestly, maybe Oscar could have passed Lando. It was crazy. But this was the, the the most exciting part for me was like Oscar was following Max really closely for the first several corners, wheel to wheel through cops. Then that's the high speed corner where there was like the Max Lewis 2021 crash here at Silverstone. Max looked like he almost made a little mistake. They referenced that like, oh, are we going back to 2021? Um, but Max joked to Lando in the cool down room that he was thinking the entire time to Oscar, like, don't understeer, don't understeer, don't like wreck all of us. But it was an amazing start. Yeah. A pro F1 viewing tip is I'm assuming they also show it on the Sky Sports broadcast through ESPN, but I usually watch the F1 TV broadcast. So if you just hang on past the end of the race, it shows the cool down room where they're sitting drinking their water before they go out to the podium. And there's oftentimes some funny little gems in there. Like Max did a little impersonation of himself with Oscar alongside him going, don't understeer, don't understeer, don't understeer. <laughs> <laughs> you always love your your cool down room. I, I really do. Then Lando held on for five laps, but Max just really had too much straight line speed and Lando didn't fight him. I think – the announcers are almost him give, giving him a little bit of a hard time for this. Like, oh, just let Max sail on through. But I actually think it was kind of the smart and responsible thing to do. I think it's tempting when Lando knows he kind of has this reputation as, oh, if he was in a winning car, could be World Drivers Championship material. But in order to maintain that reputation, when you have a fast car, you need to be showing in a wheel-to-wheel fight with a champion that you can compete. So he showed that off the line, but I – can assume there's a lot of temptation to also try to pull off some absolute heroics to become, oh, the one person this season who could keep Max behind him. But it really would – it probably would have just, number one, failed just from the power of the Red Bull car. It was too early in the race. Yeah, and number two, it's such a long race, would have absolutely wrecked his tires, would have wrecked the McLaren strategy. So I think that was just a sign of being super mature, knowing that – It's not worth risking the best McLaren performance in ages. So I I was really proud of him for that. I was stressed when Max was coming up for the pass. Yeah, I mean, it it did happen almost too easily, but that's a good point. And he was told on the radio that Oscar was going to hold position that when they were in P2 and P2, P3, they could race together. And this was when Oscar was within DRS range of Lando and in theory could have gone for. Yeah, what do you think about that? I mean, I think it makes sense. What, like, with Lando's position not being able to hold P1, not doing that crazy heroic defending, like you said. And then I think as a team, being able to defend, and, and I think the team just wanted to lock in a P2, P3. So I think that makes sense. Like, they weren't going to take try to take P1 right off the bat. I think it was a good call. Yeah. I think it made sense giving the t- context because I'm normally pretty against team orders when there isn't. For example, say a ch- super critical championship points on the line or something like that. 
But I do think given the context that this was their best qualifying in yeah, ages, it was too much potentially their best result in ages, it's so different. Like I think if it had been Mercedes or Ferrari or Red Bull in a P2 or P3 that said on like lap six, hold position, that would be one thing. But I get it when you just need to be conservative when you're going for potentially your best result in years. So yeah, I, I agree. I think it was a good call. Yeah. And just in general, throughout the entire race, there was great wheel-to-wheel racing up and down the grid. Lap seven, there was an awesome battle between Hamilton and Alonso with Hamilton winning out there. The middle of the race, there was a battle between George and Charles and George was mad at Charles's defending. He was moving in the braking zone and just sent it around the outside at Luffield for an amazing pass, which was really cool to see. Albon was hanging in there strong with both defending and attacking. He passed signs after the safety car restart and held off Leclerc at the end. So amazing performances from him. And overall, the battles after the safety car restart were just incredible. Okay, let's go by team. So we'll start with Red Bull. All is well in the world of Max. He finally cinched the win for the team at Silverstone. It was Max's first win there, the first win for Red Bull in a while. And then he took the team's 11th win in a row, tying up the broader F1 record with McLaren. So happiness all around for um, for Red Bull. Well, I guess half, half happiness. Yeah, I think what <laughs> we really want to dig into is Checo. I'm sure you have a lot of thoughts. But first, I guess in a surprise to no one, I'm going to talk about Max for a second. I do think, not that he's getting written off, but I think it's very much turned into this narrative of, oh, the Red Bull cars are rocket ship. It's so boring. No one can beat Max. Almost not undervaluing him, but I think it is just a fact of the matter that it's like how people just say casually, oh, that Lewis has seven championships. And you don't stop to think about the fact that that's such an insane accomplishment and it's almost just expected at a certain point. And I think it's kind of reaching that with Max where people are just like, oh, yet another win and kind of attribute it to the car. But I think this Checo situation right now is showing – Checo is struggling to an unusual degree – but it's showing that the car is a huge part of it, but doesn't guarantee anything. Like Checo's in the same car as Max and has not made Q3 for five races in a row. And Max is out here winning by 10 seconds, just driving flawlessly lap after lap after lap after lap. So I think definitely just giving credit where credit's due when it is definitely more than the car and being in a Red Bull alone, as we're seeing just painfully clearly with Checo, isn't even enough to get you on the podium. Yeah, I have to talk about Checo. This was his fifth race failing to reach Q3. He drove, yeah, he did drive from P15 to P6, but for a lot of the race, he just wasn't really making great progress. He did have some great wheel-to-wheel action, strong overtakes after the safety car restart, but even a P6 recovery isn't that great when you're indisputably in the best car by far. So I think we just have to discuss what in the world is going on here? What are our theories? Like I said, he, quote, knows where the issue is, which I'm definitely curious about, and said he's already hitting the sim. I wonder if things have just been getting to his head. It's a ton of pressure, and I feel like once there's this narrative that you're not good enough, it can be hard to overcome that, especially in a high-stakes quality setting, not to, like, psychoanalyze Checo, but I just wonder if, like, that plays a role and maybe doesn't explain you know, five races in a row of bad performance, but it must be really tough. Max is definitely a formidable competitor. And when, you know, the stakes are really high, it can be hard to perform. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Like, 
it's got to be the pressure. That's what they were mentioning, you know, the first time he didn't – he had a really bad quality. So I think I think it's going to be that. I also agree with Sarah's earlier point about the driver versus the car. I think we all know to a certain extent that the team is going to favor the production or upgrades of the car to suit the number one driver. But I don't think it would ever be to the point where it would be like this big of a gap. So I think there's a little bit to be said for both. I will, in a little bit of a hats off to Checo for this race, he did make a pretty good P15 to P6 finish. I'm happy about that. He finished ahead of Alonso, is for now maintaining P2 in the World Drivers' Championship. So I think he has like one more chance to try to get it together, but it has been pretty, pretty dire. Okay, so for McLaren, the stars of the show, this is just such an amazing story. P2 and P4 and would have been a double podium without the safety car. Just such strong and consistent drives from both drivers. Lando sounded so chill on the radio the entire time. Like he was just hanging out, eating a snack, not driving one of the fastest F1 circuits. The only time he got flustered was the hard's choice during the safety car, which we'll discuss. But it was just wild how fast the car was, especially in the high-speed corners. And they had a pretty amazing first stint on the medium. So Tired Egg seemed to be doing well too. They also had perfect pit stops as well uh, under such high stress conditions. So that was amazing. Props to the team. Lando did warn that not all of the car's problems have been fixed, but clearly this is a huge step. So to talk about the safety car, on lap 32, there was a full safety car for KMAG's fiery engine failure, which took a really long time to remove. So there were only 14 laps left of racing. Sadly, despite Oscar's amazing performance during quali and during the race, he was the big loser here just due to timing. He had just pitted onto hards before the safety car, and then everyone around him basically got free pit stops, which allowed Hamilton to jump in front of him. So that was a bummer. Would have been so amazing to have his first podium in F1 kind of at Silverstone. So the real discussion here, which was a big point of debate, was why McLaren pitted Lando onto hards under the K-Mag safety car when there was only going to be a short sprint to the finish. Everyone else was obviously going on to softs. Lando practically begged for softs on the radio as the safety car was called. It was so stressful. But McLaren is stuck with their original plan of putting Lando on hards, which, Jessa, what were you thinking in, in the moment when you saw this? I mean, obviously in the moment it's super confusing because I was like, oh, sick. This is going to be an awesome pit stop. He's going to go on softs. He's going to try to make up some time and like really, really do well and like be on the attack instead of being on the back foot. Um, The only thing I could think of, which was then later confirmed, was that his softs were already slightly used. Like I don't think the team thought he had the exact softs needed to finish the race, but I think the medium was – the hards was like – a really, a really tough thing to put him on. And I think he did a really good job having to just like defend for the last 15 laps of the race or 20 laps of the race. Yeah. And Stella later said they had already committed to hards, which the fact that they had done that, I guess they probably didn't realize the safety car was going to last quite so long that it was only going to be like a 15 lap sprint to the finish. They must have had some type of data showing that maybe for some reason or quirk, the hards were performing better on this car than the softs. Like you did see the Mercedes drivers be pretty incredulous at how fast they were going on the hards. Yeah. And Stella made a good point, which I think speaks to kind of their a bit more conservative and risk averse 
approach in this race. He said when the safety car happened, they weren't prepared to switch since they had already prepped the hards and it would have been risky to have the pit crew running around, pulling out the softs when there wasn't time. And so I think it's when you only have a split second to decide and it's like, okay, do we want to risk having a slow stop and having him lose track position or making him defend on hards? I I don't know. It's hard, but he he managed it. He was displeased. He had a nice sarcastic quote, wonderful on the radio when he found out that Lewis and Max were on softs, which was really the only time he got flustered the entire race. Yeah, and he like at the end was joking about it, being like, "Oh, just another challenge for me to throw in." But hats off to him; he he really crushed it. Okay, let's do Ferrari. I think sadly not much to say here. They had a very disappointing weekend, ending P nine and P ten. Both cars could literally not pass Albon on the safety car restart. Sainz was struggling a lot after that restart. He was also on hards, but he could not hold on. He got passed by both Albon and Leclerc. Um, and earlier in the race, the Ferrari didn't even have the wheel-to-wheel pace versus the Mercedes. So uh, what I'm thinking now is like, and we'll talk about it, Mercedes seems to be doing pretty well on their pace, maybe like more equal to McLaren later on in the season. And then we'll see like Ferrari and Aston Martin duking it out for like third and fourth, fourth and fifth. So that's my preemptive hot take. <laughs> For Mercedes, the car is looking strong after the big upgrades they brought this weekend, but Hamilton is still a a bit disappointed, especially given that McLaren has made such huge strides and they still have a ways to go, though if Hamilton cannot overtake a McLaren on hards at the safety car restart like we saw. But in brighter news, this is Hamilton's 14th podium at Silverstone, which is the most of any driver and just more great evidence of how good Mercedes is at stringing a weekend together by staying consistent, staying on it, even when their car isn't the best. So they can capitalize on opportunities like that safety car, get a P3, P6. So just impressive strategy and from the drivers as well, just being able to kind of pull out result after result, even when they're not happy with the car. But That said, with the car, the consistency really remains a question mark. I don't know what they have to do to sort that out. Toto made a comment that the McLaren side pods look identical to Red Bulls and that maybe they, you know, they Mercedes need to go back and take another look internally. And I don't know if they'll like start looking a little bit more like the Red Bull, but it's an interesting, interesting comment there. For Alpine, just sad. They had to retire Ocon early in the race due to a hydraulics issue. The second year in a row, he's DNF'd here. Then a battle between Stroll and Gasly in the back half of the race went very south after the safety car restart. First, Gasly was super upset that he felt Stroll had pushed him off off the track and kept the position. And then with only a few laps left, Stroll just straight up took him out. It was like poetic. Gasly was so angry on the radio. He was like, he's got to give it back. And then in he went, out he went. Yeah, uh, it's just... It, that was tough to watch. I think it was probably just a mistake from Stroll, but there was a ton of of space for him, and he didn't need to shove Gasly off. So that was just an unfortunate series of events. For Alfa Romeo, it is tough out here for them. Botas did make it into Q2 in quali, but then his car broke down, so he couldn't continue. He couldn't provide a fuel sample, so he was disqualified from quali and had to start P20. Joe finished the race P15, so not the best weekend from them. But for Aston Martin, Alonso definitely had some good wheel-to-wheel action. He finished P7, but it does look like the upgrades they brought this weekend aren't 
keeping pace with the rest of the teams, especially Mercedes. And we'll see what happens with McLaren, if they can kind of keep up that pace. But yeah, Alonso's wheel-to-wheel battles with Hamilton kind of just showed that the Mercedes at least is, was looking better at Silverstone. And then Stroll, as we talked about, just got way too feisty, took out Gasly, which was a big disappointment. But yeah, we've talked a lot about the development race with Aston Martin and kind of, you know, they're not necessarily used to developing a car at the top of the grid throughout the season. So maybe they have more to learn, but uh, yeah, super interesting. We'll see where they go. For AlphaTauri, the team had brought major upgrades to this race, including a newly reshaped floor and wider rear bodywork, but it didn't really seem to pay off for them. They came last, 16th and 17th ahead of the DNF cars. So also just such a struggle bus. Ugh, it's it's hard to watch right now. <laughs> for Haas, also I've never been wrong, more wrong about anything ever than I have been about Nick DeVries potentially. You so. say this every time. <laughs> I know, and it just continues to be true, and I just can't. I'm still sad about it, clearly. For Haas, Hulkenberg had contact with Checo in the early stage of the race, needed a new front wing. Things went south from there. It's hard. I just really feel like Haas has these moments of shining glory and then just is not able to kind of put together a clean weekend, like avoiding front wing damage, things like that. On around lap 30, K-Mag's engine died a fiery death, bringing out a full safety car, This is their third engine failure in three races, so also clearly some reliability problems there. It was sad. There was kind of a a really sad post-race interview where Magnussen said, it's a shame, of course, but it's not like we were in a point-scoring position. Oof. That's – yeah. That one's tough. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to, like, have the – I mean, I'm obviously not a race car driver, but hard to have the – gusto for winning if you just know that it's not going to happen gusto win I love that (laughs) you interviewing a driver saying how do you have the gusto when you're never in the points (laughs) (laughs) okay to wrap up the teams we have Williams so based on a standout showing at practice on Friday it looks like their upgrades have actually proven to be quite competitive both drivers had their best quality positions and starts of the season and actually the race wasn't too bad unfortunately we had Sargent just missing out on the points P11 but Albon's race was amazing finishing P8 ahead of both Ferraris um and this is something that was really interesting not really to do with the performance of the race but they were interviewing Albon after quali and he was talking about how he's so much taller than the usual F1 driver he's he's 6'1 so when he sits in the car he's kind of like super rounded over and hunched and his shoulders are like leaned over and his bones stick out and it was kind of graphic, but he said that when he's going around like really hard tor- corners with a lot of force, like it rubs on the bone and the skin. And that he said that he can like feel the skin ripping off as he goes through the corners. It was gnarly. Ow. I don't know. I don't know why I chose to bring that up, but I was reading a lot about it after. And just something that you don't usually think about is one of the perils of being an F1 driver. But there you have it. Now let's get into some news and headlines. We cannot talk about this race without getting into the F1 movie that is being produced by Apple that I'm sure you all have seen all over the place. It's has a ton of big names. It's starring Brad Pitt. It's being directed by the Top Gun Maverick director, and it's being co-produced by the one and only Lewis Hamilton, who has had a lot of involvement in making sure that it's authentic, that Brad Pitt and the whole crew know what they're doing. And it had already been clear that the production was going to have unprecedented access. The basic kind of plot is Pitt starring as an older driver making a big comeback for a fictional team called Apex, which 
also has a star younger driver. And then Javier Bardem, which I'm excited about, is going to be playing the team owner. He's I love the Bond movies, and he's one of the best Bond villains ever. So maybe he'll be a scary team owner. Yeah, but this was just insane. Like Apex, the fictional team, had its legitimate own garage at a really good spot on the grid between Mercedes and Ferrari. And the driver, so Bit and Damson Idris, who plays the other driver, they were literally in the lineup with the drivers for the national anthem. Apex also got solo track time for filming. Brad Pitt was at the driver's meeting. And then they fully lined up on the grid, like in those two cars in the last two spots for the race. And they did the formation lap, which I think is just absolutely insane. I was shocked when I saw this. I was like, that cannot, that absolutely cannot be real. I knew they were going to get solo track time which was already kind of a logistical difficulty because there was a ton of support series this weekend. Like there's F2, there's F3, but oh my gosh. Did Brad Pitt actually drive the car? Or did they get like another F3 driver to drive the formation lap? It's it's a little unclear. I'm pretty sure it was professional drivers on track this weekend, but Brad Pitt has done track time. Like I think Lewis has helped him out at the oh track before. God. And so yeah, there's at least some parts here where brad pitt is going to be driving an f2 car yeah it's so wild to me um toto made a pretty salty comment about it and he's like most tracks don't even have space for an 11th team aka the quote hollywood people which is interesting given how you know committed and involved lewis has been um and they actually helped or Mercedes actually helped them adapt an F2 car for the purpose of this movie. So, Tiggy, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, we know at least Carlos is getting his moment in the spotlight. But yeah, I'm so curious what the drivers think of this. I will say I'm generally an optimist and I'll assume that with Lewis so closely involved, the right safety precautions are hopefully in place and they're handling this, they're handling this responsibly. <laughs> One can hope. I guess we shall see. But yeah, it is pretty wild that they were literally doing the formation lap. Also, people seemed happy, but I I feel like the novelty might wear off a bit. Like I think it's it's all fun and people are excited when it's the first race with a full movie crew, but they're doing this at several races. So I'll be curious. Okay, so we have to talk about the Martin Brundle gridwalk drama, which does seem to rear its head every so often. It's happened several times before where celebrities are on the grid and don't understand the Martin Brundle Sky Sports gridwalk situation, and it just leads to super awkward interactions on live TV. So after Megan the Stallion's bodyguards uh, kind of thwarted Brundle a few years ago, F1 instituted a rule that celebs can't bring bodyguards onto the grid. But they clarified that even though celebs can't bring security, they aren't required to do interviews. So the reason that this is coming up this race is Brundle tried to interview Cara Delevingne and she said no and she got a ton of heat for being rude. If you do look a bit closer, there's also an Alfa Romeo team member there sort of running or interfering and Cara doesn't seem to know what's going on. Then Brundle himself kind of responded sarcastically that, quote, I'm sure it would have been very interesting as he walked away. So just awkward, bad vibes all around. She later defended herself by saying she was told by an F1 rep not to answer. But what do we think about this? Yeah, I do get why fans are upset over this. Um, it, it, I think it's definitely a bad look when celebrities have the privilege of being on the grid and then don't want to participate in whatever you may think of it, a really tried and true grid ritual of the Martin Brundle grid walk in interviews when it's super easy for them to just say, 
even if you know nothing about F1, even if you don't want to be interviewed, you could just say, hi, I'm so excited to be here. I'm learning. I'm rooting for X team. Whatever. There's a million things you could say. But at the same time, it also kind of rubs me the wrong way if people are being like forcibly interviewed against their will in what's clearly a chaotic situation when I feel like a lot of these celebrities just don't really know what's going on and maybe don't even know that they can be interviewed. So I feel like there needs to be maybe clear lists ahead of time of people who've agreed to talk because it's it's bad that it's turned into this like awkward ambush situation on live TV. Yeah, I agree. I think this has happened again more than once. And I think there just needs to be better organization or communication between celebrities and Martin Brundle just to avoid situations and awkwardness like this. I guess part of the beauty is that it's spontaneous and not scripted or premeditated, but it's just rough out there for both sides when this happens. I think it's kind of hard to read into the Cara Delevingne situation. I don't know what she was told or, you know, how the whole thing went down, but I definitely just watching the video was just not not a great look. Okay, so with that, we'll wrap up our episode, our recap of Silverstone with our radio of the week from Lewis. He said, quote, that McLaren's a rocket ship. That speed is insane. We can all agree with that. For our driver's standings, of course, we have Max in P1 or number one with 255, Checo in two with 156, Alonso third, 137. So coming up pretty close, but Lewis is in fourth with 121. Rounding out the bottom 10, we have Carlos at 83, Russell right behind at 82, Leclerc at 74, and then we have Lance at 44, Lando at 42, and then Akon at 31. And for the constructors, we have Red Bull 411, Mercedes with less than half of that at 203. ESPN F1 posted, which was so insane, how if Max was his own team, he (laughs) would still be winning constructors. (laughs) (laughs) Damn. Which is okay. so bad. Ferrari at fourth with 157. McLaren <laughs> fifth at 59. Alpine 647. Williams 11. Haas 11. Alfa Romeo at nine. And Alfa Tauri with two. Oof. All right. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening.